As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash mpn to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash mpn. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. Artificial intelligence is remaking marketing as we speak. And if you're a marketer, you can either get up to speed or get left behind. The choice is yours and, really, it's a no-brainer. Join Jeff Livingston and Greg Verdino as they explore the latest AI news, trends, tools, and ideas that are creating the future of marketing today. This is No Brainer, an AI podcast for marketers. Oh, and just in case you're wondering, yes, I am an AI. Take it away, Jeff and Greg. Hey, this is Greg Berdino, and you are listening or watching No Brainer, an AI podcast for marketers. I'm here with my friend, Jeff Livingston. How are you doing today, Jeff? Hey, Greg, how are you? I guess we're publishing on the first day of summer. This is the last day of spring, so happy summer. Happy summer, my friend. Happy summer. Hope you had a great Father's Day and looking forward to getting into this one. Yeah, this will be interesting. A little bit of a different episode this time. Yeah, and we're going to tell you about that in just a few minutes. First, we'd like to remind you that No Brainer is part of the Marketing Podcast Network. If you want to find a whole mess of other awesome marketing podcasts, you can do that at marketingpodcast.net. If you are listening to this show on Apple Podcasts or any of the other pod services that you love, be sure to subscribe, be sure to rate, be sure to review. That'll help others find us. And if you're watching the show on YouTube, of course, subscribe to the channel or smash the like button. Speaking of watching, we have an interesting episode today, Jeff, don't we? We are going to be doing a deep dive into video. We're going to be looking at that from a wide range of angles. And we've actually, if I'm, if my show notes are correct, Jeff, it looks like we've actually flipped. You must have rolled right on a father's name with the pun. You're punny. I know. (laughs) Good, right? Yeah. But uh, we've actually flip-flopped the format a little bit today. Not only are we going deep on one topic, specifically generative AI and video AI, but we are going to maybe start with the bigger picture. I think do a bit more of a landscape, a trend, talk about what we're seeing happening in the space generally. And then we're going to go really down deep and get very tactical, very practical we can t- we're going to talk a bit about the way we're using generative AI tools in video to produce this show. 
We're also going to talk a bit about a bunch of the services we see out there that are really democratizing video and making them available to people like you and to me, and of course, to people who represent big brands as well. Why don't we dive right in, Jeff? Let's get rolling. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm really excited. I think this will be a fun episode for folks. I think it's a bit of a primer. I think like we like to talk about, we're maybe two weeks ahead of everybody else, so we're exploring these tools and understanding these trends as well. But I'm personally excited about it, Greg, just before we dive in, only because there's so much conversation about ChatGPT, and I feel like that's just part of the landscape. There's so much more going on, and particularly from a marketing perspective. So this is yeah. exciting. Yeah, I was talking to a, a, an industry colleague earlier today. And he was observing the same thing, that he talks to a lot of CMOs, a lot of digital directors and people, right? Everyone's talking about generative AI, but when he actually digs under the covers and say, what are you doing? What are you playing with? What have you experimented with? What it's, It always comes down to, ah, I was on ChatGPT three weeks ago, and I haven't really used it since. And they haven't looked at the other generative writing assistants. They haven't looked at the image generators. They haven't looked at the video tools. And I think that's what's interesting to your point, and I think to the credit of the show today, really digging beneath the surface of what's going on, even in a single space like video, really uncovers the reality that there are so many different things and so many different tools with so many different strengths and weaknesses and use cases that it becomes a pretty rich conversation. Totally agree. It's 100% right. There is an undercurrent of generative AI that's a lot more powerful, deep, and it is moving underneath this whole kind of public conversation about ChatGPT. But speaking of public discussions, there's a show on Netflix, which I personally love. It's called Black Mirror. And I think maybe we should start our video discussion today with Black Mirror because they just released a new season on Thursday. And one of the episodes features generative AI in the form of video. So what better way to do it? And the episode is called Joan is Awful and it's hilariously awful and really provocative. And so let me tell you a little bit about what goes on in it. It's about synthetic video and deep fakes. And the premise is, is that somebody who is CEO of an AI company basically license away the rights to their light. So not just their voice, or their visual look. Basically, it's their life, everything that happens. And so their phone literally records everything that's happening. The service is incredibly like Netflix and it's probably, no, it's definitely meant to basically be a parody of Netflix because it's running on Netflix. It's called Streamberry. And in it, the, the production is generated by AI and they take Joan's life and they make it even more despicable and awful than it really is. And the version of Joan in the show that we get to see is played by Sama Hayek, who's incredibly funny and it gets really meta and it's, it gets into a lot of really hairy situations about how AI could work. But the whole thing too with the Sama Hayek actress, which comes into the plot line, I don't want to give away the plot, but is that Salma Hayek also licenses away her likeness and therefore Streamberry uses a computer-generated version of her to act like Joan. And once Joan realizes this, she makes Salma Hayek's likeness do incredibly awful things 
prompting Salma Hayek to find Joe. What did you think of the episode? Uh, I thought it was a great episode. It was it was funny. It was well written. We're not here to do a critical review of the show itself per se. This isn't the um, ringer. <laughs> I think viewing it through the lens of somebody in the business, it it was interesting to see how there were so many elements of underlying technology truth, right? And which is the right. case with all of the all of these Black Mirror episodes where they take a nugget of truth about the technology and they turn it into a dystopian nightmare in effect because you've got, as you said, Streamberry based on Netflix, right? And of course Netflix, everything is hyper personalized based on your viewing patterns, your behaviors, your tastes, et cetera, et cetera. It also, of course, lampoons the idea, without giving too much away, of the the fact that nobody ever reads terms and conditions, which right. is, that's, that's on us. For, but all of us do it. We join a social network or a streaming service or use open AIs, ChatGPT or whatever, and never actually read what the terms of service are. And that's where we tend to get in trouble. The right. idea of licensing a likeness. I was reading something earlier today about Ogilvy, for example, who is now trying to lead the charge among agencies around labeling AI-generated influencer content mm -hmm. so that there's more transparency and authenticity around, you know, even though something's being generated, let's label it so, we, so that a consumer might trust what it is, right? And understand what it is. And in, in an article about this, the writer made the point that AI has done campaigns for Cadbury where they've licensed the likeness of an Indian actor. And right. each of the individual shops where Cadbury is carried in whatever the geography is, each of the individual shops has the ability to customize that carrot, that actor, his look, his feel, what he's wearing or whatever. So, you know, this yeah, idea of becoming common, right? We're right. seeing photo shoots and video shoots where it's like, hey, we want to shoot you at every angle possible. We want to see, candidly, <laughs> they want to see your body, maybe not naked, but in a body fitting form so that they can literally take your sense. Like, what is it that uh, what they did with the Lord of the Rings with Andy Serkis, like the body suit where they oh, yeah, have you in something like that? So they could literally CGI you into anything. Right. And yeah. this is... One of the forms that we're seeing with video AI take place. But right. go ahead. Sorry. Right. But absolutely. And this is where obviously the the issue of deep fakes comes in, but just generally yes. synthetic humans and more and specific to celebrities or influencers, this very real idea that these people and can extend to business people or whatever too, are sure. licensing their likeness. And what happens when that goes wrong is essentially, I think, one of the key messages of the episode, which totally. I thought was really cool. And again, without giving too much away, I think it also interestingly gets to this idea of the a future where all content is truly personalized to the individual viewer, which is obviously one of the also big promises of generative AI. We're not quite there yet, but this notion that you can personalize or customize content at a scale and with a speed that we've never known before. Right. How many GPUs does that take? Incredible. <laughs> it's interesting because I, I think maybe we, without getting, well, if we talk about this too much, we'll end up probably giving away the plot. So we'll move on. We think you should see it. it something that's fantastical in a dystopian way. And I think in some ways that plays to the public narrative. But I also think from a marketing standpoint, it's useful to look at how these tools can work 
as co-pilot, like Adobe likes to say. Often AI is seen as a co-pilot. And so, yes, you can't create video avatars of people and simulate their voice to create videos. And we've done that even with the, our introduction, right? Where we have that young lady that's there with her right. kind of max headroom look going off and telling everybody about our marketing podcast. And we've covered deep fakes in prior episodes as well. I think we don't want to discuss those right now, but maybe at the end of the conversation. I mean, there's a lot out there on that. But really what's useful is, let's say you have your CEO, like we have talked about, and we are going to talk about further in, and we want him to be the public face of the company, but he doesn't have time or she doesn't have time. And so it's very easy to do that video and then have her approve AI-generated videos of her after the fact. And in that sense, that does make a lot of marketing sense. It actually makes marketing a lot easier. And suddenly that's a useful opportunity to take this technology and make it interesting. Greg, do you want to talk about the commercial tools at all? Yeah, I think the, to your point, I think a lot of the conversation around genetic, generative AI um, and the role it plays in the creation of synthetic or digital humans does naturally come around to the idea of deep fakes, right? That's the fear. That's the fear. That's the dark side. That's the downside. And it's absolutely happening. We've certainly seen deep fakes both in photography, the Pope and the Puffa. Photography is a lot easier right now. Yeah. Like unless you have super computing capability, but yeah. And and video, the the reality is the mainstream tools, right? The tools like Synthesia, which we use, or some of the others, were not designed expressly to allow for the dissemination of deep fakes. They were designed for the kinds of business use cases you're hinting at, right? Whether that's providing a doppel, digital doppelganger of a senior executive in your organization so that person can make the rounds a little bit more easily, right? That's the Tim Cook doing a weekly corporate update that Tim Cook maybe doesn't have time for, whatever. I'm just picking his name out of a hat. It's also, though, there are a lot of sort of practical down-to-earth use cases. I remember during COVID, I believe it was WP, was using right. Synthesia, I believe, as well, to do internal training. Because what they realized, obviously, was whereas before they would send a trainer on a given topic from the New York office out on a roadshow to London, to Paris, to Singapore, to whatever, to deliver that same training material every place. Obviously, in COVID times, nobody was going anywhere. And they realized that they could replicate that model initially through the use of digital humans. And they were able to do it effectively and efficiently, no travel, much cheaper a lot less strain on the trainer. And then they realized that they could actually then take that same presentation and they could make it language specific, right? So they could do multiple languages. So you're getting trained in your home language. They could customize it to local office things, like make references to making this up, as, but like do specifics like on the third floor and the fourth office on the right kind of stuff. That to make right. it really feel real and to resonate with the people in the office, right? There's a lot of different use applications that are very practical, that are very down to earth, that are almost obvious, I think, in a lot of ways that sure. show the way these kinds of technologies can be deployed inside an organization, either from a sort of a training standpoint or outside the organization from a communications or a marketing standpoint that are yep. very different from 
the dystopian view of like deep fake porn or other kinds yeah. of like misinformation, or political deepfakes, and all that stuff. Yeah. yeah, the reality is the technology is not widely available yet, so it's got to be really cooked up. It's you're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars to set somebody up to be able to do this right now, or a lot of heavy duty work to get there. It is the future, I think, not the distant future. It's coming. I do think that it, from a, an ethics standpoint or a labor standpoint, it does and it will bring about the kind of conversation that we're seeing with Hollywood right now with writing and generative AI, which is with the writer strike and actors and voice actors in particular too, which this is starting to happen on their side, are yeah. going to have to come to terms on how much their rights are worth because they won't be acting as much. They won't be right. engaging as much or they'll be licensing out to individual entities rather than to the public. But these are the types of things where there's going to be a lot of intellectual property conversation. Yes, so I we Okay. Before we jump into that, because you sparked something that I had seen an article a while back, and I would say we would put it in the show notes, but I'm sure I'll never find it again. Right. I remember reading an article about voice actors who some time ago, long before any of this was in its like major hype cycle right now, several years back, licensed their voices to a specific AI company that it was doing voice simulation. And... The contract was so open-ended that while the actors believed, were led to believe that these voice, their voices would be used for specific applications, this AI company has now sub-licensed it out or something. Sure, and they these, did. The voice yeah. actors are hearing their own voice show up on commercials and on websites and all these that's places. a loss like, to happen it's like yeah. I, they're like i didn't i didn't do this work and they're realizing that it's their synthetic voice and that the contract they signed not knowing the direction this technology would move in and the speed the technology was moving they didn't look closely enough which is also i think an irony because that's a plot point sure. in- Jonah's awful. <laughs> but these real voice point actors, of reference. These real voice actors didn't un- understand the implications of the T's and C's in these licensing agreements. And that's the they point have to do no with link. all this stuff, right? It's, they have it, no it's not the AI, right? It's the bad actors that are abusing it. Sorry. Anyway, that was no, it. they have no recourse, right? Because they signed it. They signed a contract. So it goes to the sense that you need to be super careful and really protective around your identity and your likeness in a way that's maybe consistent with what you've been led to expect over the years through social media, et cetera, and, and et cetera. But the propensity for something to spin quickly out of control in a way that you didn't anticipate. I think is greater now than it has ever been before. And you need to read, you need to read the terms and conditions now. Whenever it comes to anything deal with generative AI and your intellectual property or your human property, your bio property, your biometrics, even that's the kind of thing that can really get you in trouble. On that happy note, we have a brief message from our sponsor support for no brainer. And all the shows on the Marketing Podcast Network is provided by ActiveCampaign. If you're looking for a way to grow your business, you need to check out ActiveCampaign. It is a powerful marketing automation platform that can help you to increase your sales, 
improve your customer service, and build stronger relationships with your customers. With Active Campaign, you can create and send emails, manage your leads and customers, create landing pages, set up automated workflows, and track your results. All in one approachable platform. Active Campaign has over 10,000 five star reviews on G2 from happy users. Preview Me is one of them. They're a B2B software company that uses Active Campaign to send their prospective customers highly visual and personalized emails as they progress through CRM stages, such as completing a demo. This has increased their click-through rates by 96%. If you're serious about growing your business, you need to check out Active Campaign. Try it today for free and see if it can help you to achieve your goals. For a limited time, Active Campaign is offering no-brainer listeners a chance to double your contracts for free when you sign up at activecampaign.com slash activate. That means if your email list has 10,000 contacts, you only need to pay for 5,000. Or you can pay for the 10,000 and get an extra 10,000 totally free. Personalize your customer experience, but do it with automation. Just like 185 thousand businesses have an active campaign. Go to activecampaign.com activate to sign up today. That's activecampaign.com activate. Terms and conditions apply. Awesome, Jeff. And thank you to Active Campaign for their sponsorship. So let's move back into the world of video now. I don't think it's any surprise that video is everywhere. It is, I think, very clearly becoming the sort of the beating heart of web content. I think more and more people are prefer to consume their content in video format these days. And just like, frankly, the AI writing assistants and that kind of functionality, we're seeing artificial intelligence get baked into the tools we're already using either at work or in our personal lives. So Certainly, if you're a professional creator, you work for a marketing agency or you work for a brand or you're a professional photographer or videographer or whatever, you're already used to seeing AI functionality show up in your standard tool set, right? Jeff, as a photographer, you're seeing it in Lightroom oh, yeah. or in Photoshop. A videographer is it's going to show up in the Premiere Pro or whatever. So we're gradually seeing these tools just kind of naturally become part of the workflow. In I think in a lot of ways, in an almost invisible way, the same way as like, I don't know, in, in your car, you buy, you, you buy a new car and it has backup sensors. Right. It's got motion um, detection for cars right. on your left and or right. Yeah. They're going, now I'm driving an AI machine. But of course, this stuff yeah. is being gradually, ble it's bleeding into our lives in all these different areas. It's bleeding into our personal lives. We talked about Netscape, where obviously predictive analytics and predictive AI are working the back end at the algorithm that says, hey, you're going to like this show or that show, but not that one. If you're a TikTok user or you essentially use any photo or video Facebook app, right, you've got everything from an algorithm driving what and who sees what you create down to tools that you're using for filters or whatever. So right. clearly everywhere from the high end all the way on down to consumer applications. 
What are we seeing here, Jeff? What's going on? So to go back to the mid-2000s and that bad w- Web 2.0 term, we're really seeing the democratization of video, right? That's what we were talking about with content back then. Now we're seeing with video and the capability to develop it. And if you think about it from a marketing perspective, it's welcome because the cost of creating video is high, right? It is not easy to put together a well-produced video. At least traditionally, if you think about like hiring somebody to shoot a little advertorial, if you would, for your company, maybe a 90 second spot. I did this at Legends of Learning. That costs us $40,000, right? Just to do a video interviews of your executives or customers can cost you thousands of dollars. And that's just with a one-man crew and that giving them some time to edit it on their premiere when they get home. It's not cheap. And so as a result of that, this democratization provides access to content in a manner that video content in particular, in a manner that wasn't seen before. Now, I think that's critical because the cost is a huge issue. 66% of business owners want video. They see it as the most effective Content tool. You had said Mm -hmm. it's becoming the trade content, if you would, of the internet. And I think that we can look at social media and really see that's true right now. Yeah. Talks killing everybody and everybody's adapting and incorporating it. And we've also seen a lot of this content creation tools, even ones that we think of not as video tools like Canva, embrace this and create templates that people can use and build slideshow types of videos. And believe it or not, I don't know if you want to call them automations or AI, but those are like the bottom end of the market. These TikTok video creators, these little apps that you can put on your phone, we're going to talk about a few of them later. These things are really low-cost DIY types of tools that are empowering content marketing teams and even video teams, not video teams, sales teams to create their own content. Like I'm seeing salespeople literally embrace video and put it into their messages, their emails that they're sending customers now, which is really powerful. And so this DIY movement is really powerful in the sense that it's also incorporating animation. Animation's a a $9 billion market. It's going to be 18 billion by 2032. It's mostly used to plan out scenes and camera movements. It could also be used for facial simulation and expression and bodies. It could be used in video making. It's pretty cool stuff. And then also are these AI-generated scripts that we've seen coming up. I think you can actually use ChatGPT to create video scripts now. I've done it myself. But there are also a lot of these video companies that take GPT and fine-tune it to specifically spit that result out. Like they have an app within their interface to create these types of video scripts. And that's pretty interesting. So text to video is also a big thing where you create your prompt or your series of outlines. I actually took a, an entire article last week and I threw it into one of these and got a video that I published today on LinkedIn with some human editing. But it's pretty interesting. You can really take just basic text and create a video now using these kind of slide share types of tools that are automated and find B-roll and pictures and do the whole Ken Burns effect with their images, that kind of thing. So I think that text to video kind of variant is going to be a $2 billion market by 2032. Currently it's valued at 120. What do you think about this kind of like sudden movement where we have like 
I think in the neighborhood of 30 to 40 unicorns that are pretty active. They're helping people create video content yeah. in a variety of ways. Yeah, I think it clearly, these kinds of tools clearly level the playing field in a lot of ways for these, I would say, smaller brands in particular, right? Who otherwise might have been, to your point, thirty dollars to $50,000. And what you described was a simple sort of corporate video. A lot of companies are precluded from doing YouTube advertising, for example, because they can't afford to shoot a professional spot or the commercials they're producing, whether it's for TV or online, have to be relatively simple, relatively straightforward. And if they're in a competitive category as a challenger, you've got sort of an off-brand soft drink and you have to compete against a Coca-Cola. Previously, you just did not have the juice, the budget, the access to creative talent even to and tool set to be able to create the kinds of things that big brands have always taken for granted, right? And I think that there's an absolute level of leveling of the playing field because a lot of these tools are consumer cheap and novice easy in a lot of ways. You now have the ability to start to think about how do we integrate some of these tool sets into a creative workflow and to do more video production. Certainly, video production that's good enough and stands out enough for any given brand on social channels, on in places like YouTube and things like that. And right. I think actually, know. before you get too far, I want to latch on to that point where you say good enough, right? And I think that's really what we're seeing these things too, is they raise the bomb. Because I can already see the conversation happening like, oh my God, you're going to put a whole bunch of video producers out of work. This is yeah, like, not that. Like you right. want that yeah. high quality video, you're still going to have to pay for it. Yeah. And then the example, and it's the counter example to the democratization. And it's not, and it's not in the, this or that, it's both, right? Is you look at a lot of people a few weeks back were maybe a couple of months back. I don't know. Time doesn't mean anything anymore. We're talking about, there was a essentially a two minute or one minute spot from Coca-Cola called Masterpiece, right? And if anybody, if you didn't see it, it was promoted as an AI, generative AI-powered TV spot where essentially all of the artwork in a museum came to life. And of course, they were passing around bottles of Coca-Cola and all that stuff. And it was a good spot, very creative. And it was promoted as this AI-generated television commercial. And of course, it came on the heels of Coke announcing their massive partnership with, was I believe it was BCG. Integrate AI into their marketing process and into some of their corporate operations. But if you actually looked behind the scenes at what they were doing with this masterpiece spot, I looked at the uh, behind the scenes like making of video, and it had like all like the industry junk that consumers don't care about. There were eight agencies involved, from wow. their general advertising agency to a specialist video effects agency to a music shop to et cetera. There was a separate script like writing. a basketball tool. team of role players almost. So there were eight agencies involved. The spot still extensively used human actors and CGI, but then they layered in some AI. Like they used it for some visual effects. They used it to face swap some of the actors. They used it to turn a human actor into, let's say, a painting, morph the face from, let's say, a, a woman, a real woman to the Mona Lisa or whatever. So they were using AI as a layer in the creative process. Absolutely, as you can tell from the eight agencies and the CGI shop and all of that, 
this did not put any of those companies out of work, right? So there are these two things going on, right? Where AI and video is democratizing it for the rest of us, and at the same time, providing yet another toolkit whereby the pros are able to up their game and have like this like sort of fresh inspiration and means of innovating in their craft. And I think it's right. actually exciting that both of these things are happening at once because it speaks to a whole wide range of use cases and a whole sort of validation of both the technology, but also of human creativity. I think you're really spot on too. And if you look at some of the tools that have made it to the higher end software applications that are used by video producers, if you would, real video producers, not me or you, guys that actually make their bread and butter off of creating video, Hollywood types of guys even. When you look at Premiere, you look at Final Cut, a lot of the AI that's come in actually cleans up the tasks that they don't want to do. So instead of cleaning up the audio, it'll automatically do it. And then they could check the audio and like clean up the little hot spots or problem, give it a listen through if you would. I think that's a perfect example of something that's interesting to them. And when you think about the way a video is shot, and I know you've been around a few yourself and I have as well, creating a video for even a 30-minute documentary could have dozens of hours of B-roll that's shot for it. So if you're the video editor, do you really want to go through 30, 40 hours of B-roll to prepare a video? Maybe not. Maybe you just want to see the scenes, take your cut, and then listen to that audio of the color correction for that particular scene and correct it there. And so that saves a ton of time and makes them much more creative and strategic. And also, you know, they could do more of what they love. So I, I think this is in many ways Grammarly for writers. Nobody likes to proofread their own stuff. This makes life a lot easier in that sense. And the other thing that's really fascinating from the use cases is that this ability to pick off little pieces of it, which you alluded to with the Coke and the eight-person team and the ability of different types of content creators now to access different types of video or use different pieces of AI to embrace this. And in many ways, what this is a common trend where we're seeing People that are dangerous, smart enough to be dangerous, like that guy that sells the account for an ad agency, he knows enough to, or she knows enough to talk about the works of marketing and advertising. But if you actually got them to implement it, they might get themselves in trouble quickly. Maybe now they can implement it, or at least they can implement parts of it. And I think that's fascinating too. I, I think to me that the fact that we have so many different unique players now and they, that you have a team like that coming together. That wouldn't have happened 20 years ago. Instead, you would have had the agency hire somebody that's a specialist in each of these different things and then try to go head to head and none of them doing it well. It's just really amazing how it's just created, it creates collaboration. It fosters a lot more skill sharing and much more of a creative environment where people are actually building cool things. All right. Awesome. I think we want to get into some of the real down and dirty. Really, let's like, let's look at some real use cases. Let's talk about some of the tools that are available. Let's talk about the tools we use. So why sure. don't we dive into that? But first, we're going to take a short break to hear from some, some more of our sponsors. How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. 
You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba Effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. All right. Hey, everybody, we're back. Look, we're going to talk a little bit about the actual tools and some of the use cases. I think I've taken a little bit of a look at this, Greg, and just read a little bit about it before we got on. And based on what I'm saying, there's just a few primary use cases that I see amongst common marketers. I, I'm not going to speak for videographers. Again, I'm not a professional 100% video person. I'm just a guy that likes to talk online too much. AI-generated content is one of them. This is mostly text and imagery to a video. I think this is the domain of social media and a lot of the stuff that we're seeing online and Instagram and TikTok, these kind of quick cuts to different types of content. There are some tools like live action video production. We're actually using one of them right now. Riverside is an AI type of tool that helps video podcasters shoot video wherever they are in a higher quality of video with the audio, as well as the syncing of the audio. I think you and I have found it to be pretty cool because we usually look fuzzy to each other, I bet. But when people see it online, it looks pretty good. <laughs> Little insider secret there. I actually used another one yesterday, Greg. I was trying one out. It was Roll.ai, which we'll talk about in a bit. That one's on your phone. And there's, yeah. a, I could see, I could, once I got into the ad, but I'm like, oh, I know who uses this to create their online videos. And it's pretty cool, but I still have to figure out where to set the different cameras. Cause when I did it, it was basically like this close up of my face like this. <laughs> it was That's horrible. I then like the laptop, which is what I'm shooting off of right now was in the same spot basically, but there's this huge, horrific panoramic view. And I'm still a dad, so I have a little bit of a dad vibe with my gut hanging out a little bit. I was like, oh my God, this is awful. It cannot be ever left to see it on the internet. Never, ever. Yeah, Jeff is horrible. <laughs> Jeff is awful. Yeah, that'll be the Streetberry Netflix show on that one. AI content analytics is probably one of the bigger ones. I'll bet a lot of larger brands are using that for their market and competitive intelligence. But also some other people are using it, like social media folks, those larger sure. video production companies for sending <laughs> at key moments, suggested clips. We use Momento to do that for our own video production. And that can be used also to inform other content and do market intelligence, which I just alluded to a little bit with that MICI stuff. And then finally, the AI video post-production editing and even marketing of video content, creating that content in different ways so it can be published or sent via email or even turned into a blog post. Yeah. And there are a lot of tools that are out there doing that. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a lot of, as somebody who spends a lot of time 
repurposing content. Not We certainly do it for our show. At the agency, we do it for clients. And especially in this, I guess, in this, what many have convinced themselves is a bad economy heading towards a recession and budgets are tight. And, you know, they're working with smaller teams. They've cut back content production budgets and whatever. The mantra is, how do we do more with less always? And the way some of these tools will allow us to, for example, take a full-length video, turn it into a series of video shorts formatted differently for use on different distribution networks, and then like get text, output a text recap or show notes or a transcript or create a blog post translate audio into video, video into audio. Like there's all these different ways that artificial intelligence can be deployed against a video asset that in my view, it gets really exciting even when you take the video beyond what you think video is. Uh, Like I totally want to take this one that we're about to get into where we talk about the tools and maybe we'll do it together, I hope, where we'll create like, hey, here are the 12 tools we discussed during our video podcast and check them out. That kind of thing. But also, here's the crazy thing. I just want to riff off of one thing you said. Like when you're talking about the repurposing, like the thing that I can't get over is the aspect ratio changes, right? Where it goes, oh, here's your landscape to nine by 16, the square. And it's just like, and you just press a button and it just happens. I mean, before that was a goddamn nightmare. Now it's like so much easier. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. I think as we get into... The rest of the show, really, where we're going to get go a little bit deeper into almost like a cavalcade of tools or a survey of not every tool available, but many of the different tools that we're either using in some cases or have seen out there. Maybe we've tried it. Maybe we're interested in trying it. I think it also comes down to this sort of idea that there's a zillion tools out there. And I think you see all these tools and you get this mental picture of the Lumascape where it's all these tiny logos in a bunch of boxes and it almost feels a little bit like here's 3000 tools pick three good luck to you and (laughs) and the truth of the matter is i think where we are as an industry where ai is in its life cycle which for this generative generative stuff is still very early very early definitely we're at a point where experimentation pays off right you need to try these tools you need to play around You need to understand what does the tool do? What's its use case? Does it add value beyond maybe other tools I have, right? Because you don't need to have four tools that all do the same thing. Find one you like. Correct. And I think then like settle in on what's your core set, right? So as a show, we've settled into a core set of tools, right? So right from the very beginning, we've mentioned Synthesia a few times, and that's a tool that creates or generates digital human avatars, right? And we're using that tool for our opening credits where we used, certainly we're using their avatar, right? We're using their voice synthesis. The Nobody script, wants to see another bald guy with this show. Absolutely not. You know, the script started its life in ChatGPT and then we edited it down from there, import the script into Synthesia. It syncs it with the avatar that we chose. We actually, you don't know this, but behind the scenes stuff, Jeff knows it, but listeners don't. We went through several different voices on the avatar, right? So we revoiced her several times. So I wanted her to have an Australian accent. I'm just saying. (laughs) I think the Australian person spoke a little bit too slowly for the, for the club. All righty. 
I think that might have been the problem, but we could have given <laughs> her an Australian accent. We could have had her speak in Chinese or Korean or Italian. Sure. And that for us to do that in a studio with a live actress obviously would have been prohibitive. So that's where we kick off the show with this sort of traditional deep fake style digital human AI avatar. As Jeff mentioned, we record the show on Riverside. And Riverside has plenty of features and functionality that are not AI driven, obviously, but Jeff mentioned some of the stuff in terms of up, up, what's the word I'm thinking of? Not upskilling. I don't know why I have that in my head, but like upcycling the video quality, making sure video stays synchronized with the audio, right. being able to There's separate an NLP the audio out from the video. Right. There's yeah. all that kind of stuff. It also now I know they're using OpenAI's Whisper to do transcripting. They're yeah. starting to offer some functionality where you can text edit the transcript and that will then carry over into edits to the video. So there's a lot of bits and pieces of new AI being baked into a system like like Riverside. We use Descript already to do some of that stuff. So we take the video and the audio files, pull them into Descript. Although you wouldn't know it as a listener, we have the opportunity to take out filler words and stutters and stumbles. We've played around with getting really aggressive with that, and we've played around with using very little of it, trying to find the right balance, because you can absolutely become over-reliant on AI and overdo any of this stuff. We're certainly using Descript to do things like cut the top and the tail, to take out awkward silences in the middle of a conversation, to occasionally cut out filler words. If we wanted to, we haven't done this yet, but it allows us to clone our voices. I don't even know if you know this, Jeff, but we could clone our voices. And probably not to produce a whole show, but if you say one wrong word and we want to replace that word, they can use a clone of your voice. I can type the correct word in and it'll update the audio file. So things like that, which are really cool. That's what um, happened to all those curse words I dropped last time. Absolutely. Jeff, you mentioned Memento, you're our Memento King. So right. I don't know what you have to add beyond that, but we're using that yeah. for social media promo clips, essentially. I actually had somebody DM me just yesterday asking me what we use for our short clips because they thought it was so professional looking. I'm like, oh, well, we really don't do anything. We just put it in momentum. And then it offers us scripts. It, it's really nice because it'll identify based on your voice, the tension of the, in the voices and the dialogue, whether or not there's like a key talking point. And, yeah. and then it'll basically identify 25 to 35 of them. And I go through and just basically choose the ones, which will yeah. actually be. I think that's maybe. one of the most interesting use cases, because when you've got these long form video assets and yeah. you don't want to have to listen to back over and like write down time code for every minute of highlight or whatever, Ugh. the way so many of these Horrible. tools are able to just pull out those highlights and they're not perfect. Like anything today in generative AI, it's not totally hands-off, but it allows you to get 80% of the way there and then add the human 20% to actually make it work for your purpose. And I think that right. it saves so much time. Yeah, 100% too. And the thing is, we need it, right? Because those of you that are listening to the show, you're the real people that love podcasting. And there is a certain percentage of the population that loves podcasting. I happen to be one of them. It's probably about 10 to 15% of the population, but for the rest of the world, you know, they just want that pithy point or they want to watch a short video and this lets us serve them as well. Sure. So I guess one they used recently was FlexClip, which is like one of these text to video creators where you give them these different ideas. And I basically helped launch my company using FlexClip. They had a 
launch company template. They actually had several of them, several, actually, I think more like a, than a dozen. And I just went in and found one and I completely bent it to my particular liking. But that was a pretty interesting, useful video production tool. We've already talked about Riverside. We talked about Roll AI, which is the mobile one. That one's getting a lot of rave reviews in the medium AI community. So there are a lot of people there that are using it within their companies. Pictory is one I used, and that's the one I published a video with today. That's also took a blog post I wrote last week and applied it to, to this video. And it created about 20 frames and I knocked it down to about eight or nine, but it was really awesome in the sense that it took the text, created the storyboard, and it gave you the opportunity to record voiceovers for each of the storyboards, which I decided to do so people would recognize it was me. And I put that up on TikTok just yesterday. It did all right. It didn't do super great, but it did all right. Canva, we've talked about that. I think everybody that's in social media knows Canva. And I feel like Canva's become the Swiss army knife of all content. It's something you could probably use to get started with anything. And it's probably something that's going to really dissatisfy you if you want to get into anything on a deeper level. But maybe that's where you start to create video using basic AI. I would call, I don't even know if I would call them AI, maybe automations, if you would, where they template everything and give you that kind of viewpoint. Yeah. Another one that's pretty well respected, I haven't used it myself yet, is in video. I don't know if you've used it, but basically you put a prompt in, literally like a prompt like ChatGPT, and it'll create a video for you. And then we've talked about Synthesis IO. And then I think, there's a competitor, which is Synthesia IO, which is incredibly close. I think there's probably a huge branding issue that these guys have gotten into a fight over. If they're not the same company, just trying to use a couple of variants, but they look a little bit different with their offerings. And it looks like there's definitely going to be some sort of an intellectual property thing. But the interesting thing about those two, the Synthesis, Synthesia, combination is that that one you could take your likeness give it to them and build a video avatar of yourself yeah which i personally think based on the status of their average software would be a little bit creepy for your customers i wouldn't recommend doing it i think it's probably better that it actually looks like an ai instead of you otherwise you're gonna have all your friends calling you and be like either you have some sort of a rare disease or somebody's turned you into max headroom <laughs> I don't know. What do you think well, about those? Just I mean, I think, rundown. The, I think I mean, on the last couple, like a Synthesia or a, synth or a, a Synthesis, I think, and there's others that allow you to upload your likeness and you guys in front of a white wall and your face left, face right, face forward, smile, don't smile, close eyes, open eyes, right? It's, like a, a, bunch of it's like a security pick. Yeah. And you send in your photos and it creates an avatar and you're right. I think it's almost a fun gimmick especially if you're promoting something AI to be like, oh, this is my avatar. But it is quite clearly a synthetic avatar, and, but close enough, I think, to trigger that uncanny valley moment, right? Where it's like, hey, this is just weird. It's not cute. It's yeah, you can do it to troll your friends, maybe, right? Yeah. And there was, I think, a, recently a, a female reporter from, I don't know if she was with CNET or something, used one of these services to create an avatar and 
was having was testing having her like in-house video production team use the avatar to do the TikTok shorts for her segment or whatever. And it actually wasn't bad. And I'm sure she got a much better take on her avatar than you or I would, because they must have known it was going to be used for this demo. And she was also using just her voice clone to have phone conversations. I think she had a phone conversation with the founder of Uber or the founder of Airbnb or something. And like he took a couple of Q&A rounds before he was like, I'm not talking to a real person here, am I? So there's like a lot of that kind of fun stuff. But I think what's interesting generally about the tools, whether it's, and I don't know all of them, obviously, but Canva and InVideo or Roll or whatever, is like these are classic consumer grade tools and Canva's the right. poster child there, right? I mean, guess uh, it's like well, that you sort said, of shop. It may not it may not satisfy you if you're producing a feature film. <laughs> it certainly won't satisfy you. But if you've gotten used to using a tool like Canva to create your social images. And now you can use that same tool to do text to video or text to image or image to video or to write, use GPT to write a script that you then use to do the like voice cloning into a video, right? So there's all sorts of things like that that are now possible through these tools. And if there's a lesson in it, it's almost think about the tools you're using today and see what they're doing because almost every one of them just to remain competitive is announcing some sort of gpt integration and, right and it's all uh, text to video a lot of it is text to video or a zillion of these yeah, or, or generation and whatever like this stuff is out there yeah. now and it's easy to play with on your time off to learn some practices i won't say best practices but practices that maybe will inform the way you start to use tools like these in your work life as well. And it's interesting, right? Like I think our list isn't comprehensive by any means, but there, what you said is correct. There is like this emerging set of common features. And I think what we'll see is similar to what we've seen in other areas where there's probably too many players at some point, and we'll have to see some sort of a consolidation moment. And then to your point on the prompting and like using the tools, I, I think 100% what you were talking about 15 minutes ago about everybody needs to be, or maybe it was 30 minutes ago because we're towards the end now, but everybody needs to be experimenting. It's like, just take the time to make a video, find it, just get an idea of what it works with. Even if you have somebody else in your team that does it this way, you, you understand what goes into it. It's a lot easier than you think it is. And, And then you won't be getting BS or feeling afraid of how this stuff works. It's just a lot easier than you might expect. Yeah. Old man moment. I think we need to get some kind of an audio bug that we can pop in every time we do an old man moment. But like I think about the early days of social and I'm assuming some of our listeners like MySpace was cool, right? Lived through the early days of social. But I think about I was at Digitas. At the, as as that really started to explode. And I had a MySpace profile and I had a Friendster profile. And then obviously he made a Facebook profile. And I started blogging because I knew that I couldn't, in my opinion, couldn't have a serious conversation with a client about blogging 
if I was not doing it myself? Why was I in all? That's why I got on Twitter. It's why I got on YouTube, et cetera. The, why did I do these things? Because it's important as a marketer to have hands-on practical experience with these things. Like you're not going to yes. be a pro yes. necessarily in your personal life, but it's really, I think in many ways, disingenuous as a marketing professional to advise a client or a senior leader in your organization, if you are client side, on what a given tool or technology means for your brand, if you're not actually playing with that tool or technology yourself, because you don't know until you use it. Now I'm going to have my old man moment because there's nothing, and it's a pet peeve, there's nothing worse than a marketing executive that talks shit about tools that doesn't use them. And it's like, I swear, I come from the... I love David Ogilvy. One of the people I read and Ogilvy on advertising is biblical. For me. But in that book, one of the things he talks about is you always have to have an account. It doesn't matter how far up you get. You always have to have an account so you understand what's going on in the business. And I think that's true of every marketer, regardless of the type of business you're in. You don't have to be in an agency. If you're inside a marketing organization, you're the freaking CMO. You better have some sort of a campaign that you're the strategist somewhere along the way where you have to build or at least see how these things are built. You have to build the direct marketing campaign. You have to see how the social media is not just ordered, but executed, how it created. How does that PR work? How does this person reach the media? If you don't understand what's happening on the line, you can't wage an effective strategy. You're the guy or the gal that's driving their team crazy with your crazy ideas that aren't based in reality. Learn the tools, man. Get off your freaking ivory tower. Rant over. <laughs> Which is a logical bridge into the next set of tools. So actually, it's not at all. We've spoken about some consumer-grade stuff that's useful, certainly. But there's also a whole set of tools that, as I understand it, are gunning for sort of the AI generation's version of like a Premiere Pro or one of those more pro tool sets that are really, really aimed at a more professional market, maybe not the old school videographer or video editing pro, but somebody who's maybe a bit newer into that field who wants comparable kinds of tools, wants something a bit yep. more sort of cloud-based or, or modern and is like looking for AI assistance, that co-pilot kind of vibe throughout the tool set that allow for things like editing and after effects. And as we've talked about selecting of clips, what are some of the things you're seeing there? Yeah, I think we'll have a shorter list on this one because I don't want to send people wayward, but there are some interesting use cases. And I did want to talk about how this could be, like, for example, IBM took basically a hundred horror movies and then created a spine chilling movie trailer called Morgan several years ago, which was took the internet by storm, really showing the power of AI. It's like one of these Watson moments. And uh, I think to me that is really powerful because it took the scenes from each of those that were most interesting and then used an artificial intelligence to do that. And so I think Memento is an example of that where it could identify based on tonality interesting scenes. There are several apps that range from mobile. One of them is Video Leap, which allows people to create their video templates for TikTok and Instagram. But if you're a template creator, you're probably on the professional level at that point, right? Like basically you actually know how to edit a video, you know how to pan, you know how to do the Ken Burns effect, you know how to create motion blur and do all sorts of crazy cuts and basically also sync video to 
music, which is actually pretty important in those areas, like where you hit it by the beat or the bass line. So with that in mind, Video Leap is a marketplace for templates as well. And I know that these templates are in other places like Canva, but I actually see Video Leap as a primary driver of that marketplace and very interesting. And one of their top competitors is Filmora. And Filmora is very good also for editing video that's created on your iPhone. And it works very well within these social networks. But unlike Video Leap, they've made that jump to the desktop. And what I think is interesting about that, that creates a competitive situation with like Adobe Premiere Rush. Maybe iMovie is another example of, of an app where you can edit a decent video with it. It's got some limited functionality compared to Premiere or Final Cut for those two companies. But it's basically those apps light. And I think Phil Moore actually does a good job and they maybe even some of their lunch on that. And it's pretty fun and easy to use. And it's a lot more modern. And it does use AI to automatically get your voice synced up, allows you to do all the curves, all that fun stuff that you would get into with specific color touching. And candidly, some of those simpler editing functionalities aren't available in iMovie or Premiere right. Rush. So somebody that goes into those that's used to those more consumer-grade apps are be like, oh, this is a little bit more sophisticated. I like it. Like, it makes it accessible to people. And then... On a deeper level, there are two apps, and one I actually want to use with that horrible video I shot on Roll AI to crop and maybe make it usable again, because I know that when I looked at the raw video, automatic it's AI automatically did that horrible thing to my face. But Capwing is one of them, and it allows you to do just like Premiere, where you have everything synced up by the audio, so you have these different takes all synced up naturally with the AI. And instead of having to go hit a whole bunch of keys to cut from one to the other, it literally allows you to do it with the click of a mouse and it automatically syncs it up really nicely. It makes the cuts really natural. It's just a lot better of a user interface compared to Premiere or Final Cut. And I think anybody that's dabbled in video, but isn't a video producer can identify with like, oh, I got to do this in Premiere. Great. Yeah. I have to find that noise reduction filter. Where is that? This thing cap wings a lot stronger than Premiere and Final Cut from it's just a user interface standpoint. So the AI's up to grade with Adobe and Apple, maybe even a little bit better, but easier to use as well. And finally, Movavi is the last one. And this is probably the most powerful of the tools, background removal, subject detection, yeah. focusing, all that kind of panning, the aggressive movement of the camera, even morphing the camera even though it's shot straight on, things that I don't think are available in Premiere or Final Cut, at least from an average user standpoint, pretty strong stuff worth checking out, Movavi. Awesome. Yeah, and that, as I looked at some of these in particular, look pretty slick. And then obviously there's the other stuff. We've spoken about some of this that happens post-production, right? You have a video asset, now what do you do with this? And we spoke about Memento, and we spoke about the way we use Descript. I know a lot of people are geeking out about a runway as well. I right. know, particularly with runway generation two, where like a lot of people, I've seen people sharing videos that like where they're shooting a video of themselves on their phone and then morphing through different like AI personas, essentially, right? Where you're able to do a lot of cool thing of like video to video. And again, they have the core stuff. They've got text to video, photo to video. But now that this idea of video to video, if we wanted to look like two 
Mario Brothers characters, which I know we do in a little way, in a little ways, but you're the Ouija uh, dude. <laughs> but like, if we wanted to bork into characters or whatever, that's what like Runway allows that kind of thing. And what you what they show is like pretty cool and pretty seamless and pretty slick. Particularly when you think about the fact that this technology is available to an average person shooting on an iPhone or a Galaxy or whatever, and it's the kind of stuff that looks slick enough that you stop in your tracks and go, how did they do that? And it really Pretty is cool. just prompting video to video, which is really cool. Yeah, 100%. That's, that sounds awesome. I might have to check that out and troll my kid with it. Notice that Jeff thinks, as I speak about myself in the third person, Jeff thinks that all these tools are made for trolling people. All right. Aren't you glad you're not really my friend, Greg, just somebody you know on LinkedIn? <laughs> Uh, okay the last one is intel fake catcher which i think is going to be a big hit with the pr crowd and also with government and banks and organizations where you have to authenticate whether or not content is real because what this does is it captures deep fakes with a 96 percent accuracy so this is really almost a cybersecurity tool which in the post-production can definitely tell when something has been computer generated and will flag it as bad content. Now that's similar to some of the things we're seeing with text, right? The ability to flag right. content is probably spun, but I think the transparency topic that came up with Ogilvy may alleviate some of that. Still, if you're concerned about people sending you videos that you think may or may not be generated using nefarious means you could definitely check and that's the that's the bottom line with this stuff like you i don't think you would generally expect you're going to have an issue with a major consumer brand doing something nefarious with a deep fake but it's always the bad actors right it's how do you identify when you know somebody is using the same tool that an ogilvy might be using and using it for reasons that an ogilvy would not use it <laughs> obviously i think the idea of tools that are that become effective at identifying ai generated content particularly stuff that might be polarizing or hurtful harmful obviously those tools are going to become more and more important as each one of us is going to have to learn how to cope with that kind of stuff for ourselves for our parents for our kids and whoever else that almost sounds like a brainer or a no-brainer but we should probably get into our brainer and no-brainer because I think we're coming to the end of our time together. Sure. Shall we rock and roll? I've got a brainer today, which is clearly a thread running through all of this, is that AI is making, I would say, prosumer-grade video accessible to just about everybody. And that includes all sorts of marketing departments, but it's also democratizing video in a way that could allow anybody in an organization to be a video creator, to get their message out there, to communicate with their stakeholders. Now, there's, of course, a potential downside to that, right? If you're a chief marketing officer and Annie in accounting is now creating videos and you don't know how to wrap your arms around that and create what I would say is like freedom within a frame, right? Yes, experiment with those tools, but be careful that you don't trounce on the brand or reputation or equity or credibility, right? So there's this sort of push and pull where I think organizations need to learn how to encourage the grassroots experimentation, but put these clear guardrails in place so that people understand what is appropriate and what is inappropriate 
And as the use cases emerge and the benefits of the functionality and the features emerge, I think then it becomes interesting and interesting opportunity for a marketing leader to identify which tools to bring into the official marketing workflows in what ways in order to make those workflows more effective and more efficient. Yeah, I think that's a great point too. And if you think about it, if it's working, just like the tools that we're using for the podcast, you don't need to fix it, right? You can check out the other tools, but unless it's a market improvement, use what's working for now. Absolutely. Um, What's our no brainer, my friend? Try them out. Try these tools out, right? It's just like Greg said, it's the social media era done again. Like if you're not experimenting with these tools right now, especially during this time and how quickly AI is moving, where it's video tools uh, as the ones we've mentioned here on this episode, but even any of them, you should be trying them out. And that way I literally sat down with somebody a week ago and they never, they had opinions about ChatGPT, but they had never used it. So I literally took my laptop, punched it up, turned it around and said, go for it. And they were like, that's it? That's it? So you don't know until you try it. All right, let's wrap this bad boy up and send you guys home to play with AI tools and make fun videos to troll your kid. Keep the good times rolling. Thank you for listening to us through the Marketing Podcast Network or however get to your favorite podcasts. We will be back not in two weeks. But in three weeks, because in the United States, we have this thing called July 4th, where we eat a lot of hot dogs and watch fireworks. Subscribe on YouTube and hit the like button to show your support. Subscribe and follow on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast service. Be sure to give us a rating and review. That goes a long way towards other people being able to find the podcast. And last but not least... Check us out, nobrainerpodcast.com, where you can also drop us an email if you have questions or even better, suggestion. Greg, this was a fun episode. Thank you. Fun, good times, my friend. Have a great few weeks, everybody, and we will see you next time. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Steve Turney hosts a great podcast geared toward mental health marketers called The Boost. Steve, tell listeners what you cover on the show. The Boost is our podcast, and the tagline is conversations with people promoting mental health, and that's what it is. So it's marketers, company executives, therapists, and mental health advocates talking about what they're doing to move this industry and this important thing called mental health forward. Amazing. And where can people subscribe? I'm big on LinkedIn, so you can find us there, just uh, slash Steve Turney, or you can find the show at marketingpodcasts.net or search for The Boost wherever you get your podcasts. You heard him. Go subscribe. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.